Did you say, you're six seven? Is that for real? Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm not making that up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you never mentioned that. I'm exactly the height of a door. Doors are all <laughs> six seven. It's like you learn a lot of stuff. So are beds. Well, okay. Well, let's let's get into it, uh, Neil. So um, it's it's great to have you on the Doge. I'm just gonna start recording. We'll use you yeah. know whatever and. Um, it, it's really cool to, to have you in. We basically just wanted to talk about um, kind of like habits and, and working on chess. Uh, mm-hmm. You recently had this really cool thread about your journey uh, that, that riled a lot of people up. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> you got a lot of people arguing in, in the Discord. Um, but I think like, I don't know, we'll get into it. I think the beauty of what you do is that it's just like, it's so consistent and it's so simple. Like you don't really need a lot of fancy technology to work on chess. You basically just need like time and and like a little bit of motivation. Yeah. Um, so okay, well let's let's back it up. So uh, I'm sure people have probably maybe know a little bit about you, maybe not. For those that don't know anything about you, when did you kind of start working on chess in in recent times? Yeah. So I I joined. Uh, I got into chess pretty late in life. So I I had played a, like a little bit with my father as a little kid. And then like at 40, I said like, I'm gonna get serious about chess. And so I should join a club. And so at 40 years old, I went to a local chess club called uh, Metro West Chess Club. It's not far from my house in the Boston area. And everyone was super nice. And I played in my first monthly tournament and I got like a, a rating of 1160, I think. And then I, um, I was like, I'm going to get into this. And over the next 18 months to two years, I jumped from like 1160 to into the 1600s. And then I, um, but I had a totally random approach, which I think most people do, uh, to studying just at the time. And then I, I got to start traveling a ton for my job. I'm a chief product officer of a software uh, company. I've been in product roles for the last 18 years. And so it, that in non-COVID times, that's a ton of travel, a lot of customer meetings. And then I moved to the UK for a job for a couple of years. And I just, just was a back burner thing. I also, um, I've got three kids. One was young at the time and, and that all kind of affected how much I could get serious about chess. So I put on the back burner for a few years. When I came back to the US, I'm like, I'm gonna get into it again. I went to uh, back to the Metro West Chess Club. I played this game where it was like move seven or something and I could have won a queen with a two move tactic and I missed it. And I was like, there's something wrong here, but I didn't figure it out. And I, it was a slow game at all the time I needed and I missed it. And then after the game, the guy, which I lost, the guy said, hey, you know, you could take him a queen. Why don't you take my queen? And then I just was like, how, how stupid am I? And like, what's wrong with me? And I was like, never again. So I decided I'm gonna get, so that was five years ago, January, uh, five years ago. And I said, I am going to take this really seriously. I am going to start by buying all the books with little pictures of children on it that have to do with tactics, like all the Coakley books and the rest of it. And then I, um, I started doing going through the books, and uh, while I was in the UK, I took a few lessons from Dan Heisman via Skype, and he had said some people will, um, you know, make flashcards out of puzzles, and so I thought that was kind of interesting. So, did a few of those, and a few turned into eight thousand cards, and <laughs> um, I, I I started deciding that um, I have to make this 
a daily habit. And one of the things I did uh, was I was working in Boston area. Uh, I had to commute into work. And I said, well, if I take the train, that gives me 45 minutes every day versus mm -hmm. driving, which is what the lazy people do. So it's like, what, what if I took the train and then that gives me 45 minutes every morning, 45 minutes at night, and I'll bring a puzzle box of puzzles with me that I've made and I'll just put on my headphones and I'll crank on puzzles every morning. And so that became my routine. And then on the weekends, it wasn't that hard to continue that habit. And so I did puzzles. I would do puzzles and I would at night make more puzzles or if I was on planes, I'd like get my scissors out and I'd be cutting on my little, <laughs> you know, plane tray. <laughs> what would you uh, listen to on your commute? Oh, um, I've got chess. Like, so to show how like, willing to deal with tedium I am um, I for the first I'm not kidding you and my wife's like how can you possibly do this for the first six months on the train I listened to one song on repeat 45 minutes straight it was chariots of fire I did chariots of fire 45 minutes a day every wow. day and I got to hate that song because it was like one song 45 minutes every day was a bit much so now I have a um, I have a chess a, a chess track which is mostly fun like upbeat songs so i've got some um like how you like me now from the heavy i've got low from florida i've got um champagne supernova from oasis and bohemian rhapsody and queen and and wow. rolling stones so i just have a mix of hop like fast beat so you're pumping yourself up you're you're like training yeah. and so my first song and it, it's a trigger for me to kind of get focused is so uh oh i gotta get to the right one so my my first song that i listen to is um it's flow right is um my house mm -hmm. and so when i put that on i'm like okay i gotta get focused so like i go on the train back then i was going on the train now i have to do it at home with covid but i get on the train i put in my headphones put on that song and that meant it's time to open my my uh backpack get out my i'd have like a box of cards uh and the reason i do 100 or 200 now at a time in the beginning i could do like five um was because the cards only it only holds 200 at a time so like there's a physical limit to like how many <laughs> i could i could do and, and just do one box but i just would work through them and i would basically do like the woodpecker method Right. approach where I would keep working through the box until I could do all 200 in one go and I'd get myself down to where I could do a box in like um, I could do a, each card would take me like five seconds because I was basically doing them through pattern recognition because I kind of had to memorize but if you have thousands and thousands of them and you space them out you're going to forget and so then it like turns back into calculation after some point yeah do you remember which which book you got the original tactics from Bane uh, was the first one, and I can send you the list of all. I've got it on Twitter, but I've got a list of every single um, book that gave up its life to make the eight thousand cards. Gotcha. <laughs> I starred. I starred the ones that I thought like were better than others because some of them are better than others. But like Bane's just um, for ch for chess students, I think it's called, mm -hmm. uh, is the most basic one I have, and I was like. I'm not gonna assume that I'm good at anything. I'm gonna like tear this house down. I'm gonna start over again. And I'm gonna pretend like I don't know how to fork a queen and a king. Right. And and I started there, and then I just kept building up. And 
one of the hardest books I have, and people laugh at me like at the chess club when I have it, is like How to Beat Your Dad at Chess. People right. think that's an easy book. That is not an easy book. No, I remember, I remember hearing good things about that book. That's a great book, um, but it's it's got a lot of stuff the the um, average player wouldn't solve. And so um, I I would say of my, I now have 8,300 uh, tactics cards and I'm building up hundreds of strategy cards now that I'm working on strategy. But uh, on the tactics, I would say probably 4,000, uh, about half are what I'd call basic. And basic I define as one motif right. and typically like four moves or less. And if it's multiple motifs uh, up to like six or seven, uh, depending on how forcing the line is, I consider that intermediate. And so about half my cards are intermediate, about half are basic. And I think that that's all I need. I don't need um, to work on like eight move tactics because uh, below the master level, I think it's going to be so rare that I miss that and someone else finds it that like it's not a problem for me. It's not a priority for me. Yeah, yeah, we should put a, a pin in that because that's something interesting I think we could we could talk about. I want to clarify a couple things. So yeah. um, I listened to a little bit of your one of your podcasts with uh, with Ben when you guys were discussing the Woodpecker Method. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned that you did learn chess as a child from your, yes. uh, from your dad. dad. So I was yeah. wondering, like, how much did you learn? Like, were you playing full games? Did you know, like, what on Passant is? Like... What, what would you say your your level was back then? Yeah, I would say, I don't know if I probably knew on Passant. I might not have, you know, like this was going back ages ago. So I, um, I mean, like I was probably like seven or eight mm-hmm. and there were other games my dad liked better. And so we, I learned the rules was basically what happened. Right. I, and in fact, um, I thought about joining a chess club in high school, but I just did other things. And so like I I had not played like I didn't know what a clock was, I didn't know what a score sheet was until I was forty and I like went to a club. <laughs> I had played on ICC um in my like uh, late twenties, early thirties. Uh and that was like my only exposure and, and, and I bought a few books, but like I was randomly buying the wrong books. And mm-hmm. so like that wasn't super helpful. I will say that um, right before I went to the club, I read Wolf's book, which at the time was called Chess for Idiots. And before now it's called Play Like a Boss. But that book is awesome for like a, a great first book for somebody because it gives a little bit of everything. It gives like a little bit of openings, a little bit of strategy, a little bit of tactics, a little bit of end games. It's a great all in one, how does chess work kind of book. Um, but yeah, I, I I did not have like any child brain activity that would merit any like uh, any value. It wasn't until I was 40 that I got even modestly serious. And it was only in the last five years since I was 46 that I got, I would say I was training. Gotcha. Um, so another thing I was wondering about is like, so you're you're well known for the doing the flashcards and, and now you have you mentioned like 8,000. Uh, obviously, that started from just like zero. Right. You just did a few of them at a time, and I think it. I think that's what a lot of people don't realize. It always starts out like as nothing, and then, <laughs> then when you look back on it, all of a sudden it's this like huge, huge feat. Um, how did you know like to first focus on tactics, or how did you make that decision? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I I, I had played in, for a few years in. Um, 
tournaments at Metro West. And even when I lived in the UK, I, I actually found a local club and I played in a couple games there. But I, it was clear to me, and I had taken, um, I took a few lessons during that period, like I said, in the UK with Dan Heisman. And I actually, um, I'm trying to remember Larry's last name, uh, the grandmaster in Cambridge who, uh, who wrote, uh, Oh, there is Larry, Larry oh, Christensen. Oh, Christensen. No, Christensen. Mm-hmm. So Christensen lives in Cambridge, Mass. Mm-hmm. And I actually went to his place and I took a few lessons from him. Oh. Um, now, he was, as you know, uh, probably know, he's like super tactical dude. And he was, although I will say I love, I, I really cherish the time. I, I took a few lessons from him. He's the nicest guy I've ever met. And I was like a 1100 player. And here's this grandmaster wasting his time on me. <laughs> uh, but um i he said things that just i couldn't relate to like oh when i was 13 i read all of these tactic books in one summer and i jumped from like 1100 to like 22,000 in like a summer and i'm like yeah whatever dude like that's not going to happen to me so like i think it's very hard for people who are over 2000 by the time they're 14 to like relate to anyone under 2000 i just think it's super hard because they, yeah. they look at my games and they're like, you don't know how to play chess. I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm here. But like <laughs> for them, it's like so obvious, like things like, um, you know, I said that a little, some of this with Ben, like the concept of like weak squares and, and you know, like you can fork a square. None of these things make any sense to a beginner. Mm. Like, like the fact that all forks are forks of squares and sometimes pieces are on them is very meta. <laughs> and it's like not the way people start to understand chess. I see. I see. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I think, yeah, it is true for a lot of people that get 2000 like really quickly. It's just they cross over so many hurdles <laughs> without even realizing they have no, no idea how many obstacles are in the path. I think I was I was somewhere right, right in there. I think I hit 2000 when I was about... Um, I think I want to say like maybe 15 years older or so. So yeah. I'm like right yeah, you're at the one threshold. Of them. I, li- I love you, man, but you're one of them. I know you are. <laughs> yeah, no, I did a ton of chess as a kid. To me, I think that's that feels like one of the most important things that determines like how maybe how quickly someone can progress later on is how much they did as a kid, how much they like sure. develop that muscle um, beforehand. So, okay, so your um, your flashcards, they, they cause a lot of discussion because people are always like, they always question the method, but like, man, you've been doing it for so long. It's it's really it's really impressive. What's um, the downside? Like, it, are flashcards worse than doing it like like uh, chess puzzles online? Like, what's the what's the beef? I think uh, yeah, I think people see the flashcards as like like oh now they have to like write them out. They have to do all this work. They could just do like chessable, or they can just do like chess tempo. But I think the point is that people are not doing it for like an hour a day for like two years. You know, they're, they're not. <laughs> so you yeah, need yeah. something to, that you can um, stick to, which I think is one of the hardest parts about it is just finding like a system that, um, that works for you. So can you talk a little bit like how did you, you started with the flashcards. Did you like track your training at all? And how did you do that? Kind of oh yeah so like i have a super super low tech approach so what i did is like i came up with let's see if i can see an example in this deck um i i just have other colors <laughs> that separate <laughs> like every 50 cards i separate with uh different colored cards and mm-hmm. then i will like write so here's stuff from 2018 like i will write how many cards i did and like 
how um, what the date was and how many I got right and how many I got wrong and how long it took me. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, my my goal, my mega goal was to be able to solve basic and intermediate tactics within 30 seconds, which I think is totally realistic. I must, I want to play in slow tournaments. I'm not interested. Like, I don't even think bullet is chess. So I'm an elitist in that way, <laughs> even though I suck. And so I was like, I'm going to get on average two minutes a move in a slow game. And if I can find um, basic and intermediate tactics within 30 seconds, then mission accomplished. So like I actually was um, cycling through my cards till I could get, again, it was all kind of contrived based on my time control. So like I could have a total of 200 cards because <laughs> that's how much a box holds. And I have a 45 minute train ride. And that's like, I had to get through them all within that. And so that works out to be like less than 15 seconds a card to be able to finish in time. Uh -huh. And so like that became my forced goal because I wanted to get to work and not be sitting on the train and miss my ride. Oh, I see. And so like I just worked my way down, but I knew that if I could get myself cycling through kind of woodpecker method to where I could solve them, a lot of them I can, I can do in like five seconds now. Um, I, I will be very unlikely to miss them in a tournament game. Like if I have on average a minute or more, then that's more than I need to calculate a a like non-forced five move tactic mm -hmm. where there's more than one option uh, to go. Like a minute is quite a bit of time if you're like training yourself. And yeah. there's a concept, I, I get people on Twitter regularly asking me to sell cards and I think they're missing the point. There's this human bias called the endowment effect. Hmm. I don't know if you've heard of that. No, actually. It basically means if you put part of yourself into something, you overvalue it as a human. Huh. So like, you know how people will paint their whole house and then they want twice as much as it's worth because they're like, well, I put all this effort into my house. Oh, so that's see. the endowment effect. Mm -hmm. So I have endowed a lot of value into <laughs> these cards. I have made little pieces of art on the backs of these cards and like um i'll try to see an example of one that i wrote a lot of stuff on but like huh. like it's that effort of like naming the name of the mate and the types of the tactics and all of that stuff um so for example like this is a this is like a typical card mm -hmm. where i'm writing all these variations down and i think that i think people cheat themselves by getting they kid themselves they go online they guess the right first move because that's the way online chess works. It's like you don't, you can't you don't solve the whole thing first like you do with a card. Right. You, you get to move pieces around. Yeah, and I think that's a bit of a cheating yourself out of like really testing whether you got it all right before you can you check the answer. Right. And I so, mean, you you can be disciplined and not make a move on the board until you feel like you've calculated things through and then you kind of have to like judge yourself but most people don't do that right most people they get the first move right good then they go from there um, even if they do try to calculate it out a little bit if they miss their opponent's reply they don't really see that as a loss even though right. that is that is kind of a depends on how how good the response was if it's some random computer move okay whatever but if it's like a, a natural defense then you should have accounted for it and and know what you're going to do uh, ahead of time right so um okay so you're doing the the 200 tactics and i want to say the 30 seconds it's interesting because now most time controls for classical tournaments will have the 30 second increment 
which basically means you get 30 seconds when you're in time trouble uh, to find a good move. Right. So it is very useful to be able to um, uh, to be willing to calculate in that 30 seconds and be willing to uh, take decisive action. And if you see a tactic, you you do need to go for it. Um, so you're doing the 200 tactics uh, uh, a day, and then how long were you doing that for? So I've been doing um, tactics for, so I was doing every, pretty much every day for four years straight. And then um, starting um, last year, I wasn't doing it every day because I wanted to really focus on strategy. And I read 13 strategy books last year. And it was in the beginning, it was a choice. It's like, I'm going to commit one to two hours a day. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I'm a chief product officer at a software company. I'm a busy guy. I got kids and wife and house and mortgage. So um, I was like, I'm just going to do strategy and I'm going to let go of the tactics because I felt like I was, you know, pretty good after four years at basic intermediate tactics. But then um, I always wanted to like figure out how to um, do a little bit of tactics every day. I think that's useful uh, even, you know, for the rest of my life. Like I I think that I I want to do some tactics every single day. So now uh, this month I committed to doing both. So I'm I'm doing uh, tactics in the morning uh, and then I'm doing, uh, I'm reading Chess Structures at Night is my current um, book. And, you know, so I'll, I'll do, um, Tactics is, is typically like 30 to 45 minutes, depending on how fast I am that day. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do one to two and a half hours of um, game study of um, book analysis at night uh, after I'm done with work and my walk and everything. So um, that's that's pretty good for me. I mean, like I don't have the train actually was more disciplined when I was on the train, uh, since I'm working from home. So what I have to do is not be lazy and get up later. I need to get up. Like I'm still going on the train and just use that time. Um, uh, and I also, like we were saying before the interview started, I think it's important to find books that don't feel like a slog that right. are, uh, because if, if you feel like, Oh, this is nightmarish, then, um, you're, you're going to limit how much pain you want to put yourself through. I will also say, because I hear a lot of people and, you know, like Dan Heisman's one of these guys who thinks training should be fun. I totally disagree. Hmm. Uh, when I go to the gym, I'm not having fun. Like, I don't enjoy driving to the gym. I don't enjoy being at the gym. I'm glad <laughs> I went to the gym. Every time as I'm in the car at home, but like, it's training. It's not called fun. It's called training. And so like I, when I'm doing my puzzles, I'm not like, man, huge smile on my face. This is the funnest thing I've ever done. No, not at all. Some days I don't even want to do it. But like, if you're an athlete or if you're committed, you're going to do it whether you feel like it or not. And it, to me, it's not even a choice. It's like, it's what, it's who I am. It's, it's part of my identity is I'm a, I'm a chess player and I train. And yeah. so I think people overestimate motivation and people overestimate fun and they underestimate the, the will to like get better. But but I would think that you have kind of like the inherently most powerful motivation of all. It's like you I, identify with this identity of being a chess player and that's a person who it's almost, so it's like you have no choice. I have no choice. But to train. Right, like to me, it's not an option. It's not like, I don't even think about it. Like a lot of, like I don't, I didn't used to floss my teeth and now I do, I don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. Like I think that the other thing, you know, I know part of what we wanna cover is habits. Like from my study of tiny habits and atomic habits, I've read like six habit books is 
um, habits beget habits. Mm -hmm. And if you start habit stacking, like what I say to people, like Ben said to me, you know, the other day, you know, oh, I was doing two hours a day and I'm doing nothing. I mean, that's the mistake. So, so I'm going to read one page a day and I'm going to solve one tactic a day and I'm going to feel awesome doing that. And if you do that, you're going to do it every day. Right. And it's what happens is, is when you have a perfectionist mindset of like, if I can't do X, then I'll do nothing. That's the mistake. I remember being in, in at BC at Boston College, and I was uh, I did some uh, karate in high school, and so I was I joined the karate club at college, and then like I decided to bail out of it. But like there were these two people who were in the club, way worse than I was uh, at the time when I was a freshman. I see them as seniors with super high belts, and I think. It's the time, man. You just got to put in the time. I don't care how good you are. You put in the time, you're going to get better. And it really struck me. I was like, wow, these two people, they were committed and they did it. And, and, and that's what it takes. And so like that stuck with me that like you got to be willing to put in the time and you can't make excuses and you got you to gotta find ways. Like people have said to me, like, how, how do you read so many books or whatever? Like I, I exercise every day. I go for a three mile walk after work and I listen to audible at the same time or I'm on the train. I'm doing my chest puzzles. Like you can double up, but I, let's say I do two hours a day. That's less than 10% of my life, 24 hours a day. Everyone's got them. And so I think people, they look at this the wrong way. They look at this as like, um, as impossible. There's a lot of can't words. And I think that, like I, I would never have made eight thousand flashcards if I thought I was going to make eight thousand flashcards. <laughs> I've been like, "There's no way that can't be done." Like, who even has that? Like, where's the? We're going to store them. Right. You know, it's like I would have come up with all these excuses. And so I was like, "I'm going to make one book's worth of cards." I right. made the Bane ones. It was like, like probably 150. And then I was like, "Oh, this isn't so bad." And like, I'm learning. I'm like writing down. Why is this move good? Why is this move bad? What is the name of this motif? What is the name of this this check me? That'll learn all these things. And then I was like, well, I'll do another one. I'll do another one. And um, you know, if if you keep working, you are going to get better. Um, so anyway. Yeah. No. I I think you brought up a number of good points there. We're both big fans of uh, Atomic Habits. I think it's like the best non-chess book for chess players. I think, especially mm -hmm. anyone who's struggling with um, coming up with like figuring out how to just like structure their their training because i've i definitely suffer from the perfectionist mindset i think it's like a neurotic thing it's like yeah if you're not uh training in like the best possible way it's like there's a sense of like well let me just figure it out until i know i'm doing everything correctly so it's yeah very um uh it prevents a lot of people from from doing anything then or, or doing any kind of because you could just do a little bit and, and you would benefit much more so i'm totally with you in the sense of like, just choose the minimum amount that you know you can achieve every day. Start with that. Because starting is always the hardest part. People were actually um, <laughs> discussing in the dojo the other day, like how much does a coach actually help and, or, and how much, mm -hmm. what percentage of someone's progress is a coach responsible for? And someone was like, 0%. It's like 100% <laughs> on the student. And I was thinking like, okay, that's a little harsh. <laughs> but I was thinking about it and I think it's actually like, I don't know, my, my, initial estimate is like 90% on the student, 10% on the coach. 
but the first 10% is the hardest and that's where the coach helps like to get the motivation going to kind of show yeah. the student like how to work on the game like how to solve a tactic how to review a problem that you got wrong how to go over your game and then once the student kind of sees like okay this is how you work on it then they can start doing their work like kind of more confidently once they can it's very much like a fitness uh, trainer it can just yeah, show yeah. you how to do the exercise show you what it's supposed to feel like where it's supposed to hurt and like how much how much resistance you're supposed to be feeling and and then the rest you kind of just like get a handle of it for um for yourself yeah i totally agree i mean i've i've gotten the most out of coaches that i've used over the years because i was clueless on what to do mm. and i think you're right i think coaches often people are really terrible at knowing their own weaknesses and strengths and so this is where a coach can be really helpful. And also we like to read this book, don't read that book, like put down the end game manual, you know, pick up a <laughs> Selman's book. Uh, and so I think that, I think there's too much information out there. I think, um, I think that people don't know what's realistic and what they can do. And, and, and the coach can really help set a, uh, a, a plan and frankly be an encourager. I mean, like, um, my wife and youngest son will play chess. They won't play chess with me. They'll play with each other. And um, they're not like, go do your tactics, Neil. Like, you know, like <laughs> they're not, a lot of people have to find um, support systems around chess training outside of their own house. And a coach can really do that. Yeah, absolutely. And and now you, well, we have this like chess punks community. I actually wanted to ask you about that. Do you, like, do you know what is like the history of that? I feel like. Oh, no, very well. Oh yeah, how did I feel like you must have been one of the original members? I was. I, I came up with the name too. That's what I thought. I just I I don't know. I, I was too lazy to click on the hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in 2018, um, I I I like finished my puzzles for the day. I got into work. I remember this very clearly. Uh, and uh, Stacia, who's one of the original ten, there were ten of us. Uh, but Stacia sent a, out a note saying that she had done better. Uh, she had like, uh, I think she has like a Thursday night, whatever. She she had a game, set of games, uh, rapid games, and she did well. And she like got better rated. And and uh, I wrote her a note saying, that is awesome. Great job. Way to go. And then she wrote me back saying, you know, you're always so positive and encouraging. It's awesome. And then Martin, who's uh, Say Chess mm -hmm. on twi Twitter, um, uh, said we should do a, we should have like uh, we were all basically on this thread saying how wonderful the Twitter chess community is of adults who are taking on this this uh, mammoth task of working on one of the hardest games in the world as an adult and um, we all want to support each other in that and so Martin had the idea of doing a hashtag and then I said okay so why don't we all like randomly th throw out names and uh, I came up with like five of them. Uh, uh, and we actually did a vote on Twitter where like we were doing votes, like, like there were knockouts of the <laughs> names and I think chess beasts and chess punks were the two finalists. And there was just 10 of us at the time. Now I, I just like a few months ago, uh, put out a call on Twitter. Like if you consider yourself a chess punk, um, like, let me know. And there are hundreds of people now, yeah. not 10, hundreds of people who associate with that. And and it's hysterical because like people were like, have you heard of chess punks? I'm like, yeah, I have. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so, 
so I, uh, there is no leader of chess punks. There's, uh, it's just a bunch of us. Uh, but I like to encourage people, like when I see them using the hashtag, I try to use the hashtag too. And I try to just, my goal on Twitter is to, is to document what I'm up to and to encourage others. Those are my only two goals on Twitter. Uh, and so like, yeah, it, it's cool to see how um, that, that one thread of 10 people turned into a bit of a movement. So it's kind of cool. Right. Well, yeah, that, that kind of brings up an important point is that I think, um, I feel like a part of your success has to be attributed to the social aspect of like Twitter, because you, you post basically every day you post what you're working on. Uh, as far as I remember, you're, you're always posting at least one puzzle you solved, one game you played or one game you went through, um, basically every day, like nonstop. Um, and and people expect that from you and i imagine you know that by now so like if you weren't doing that publicly i feel like there would be a much better chance you could take a break quit like, oh yeah there's no public expectation yeah i'm a very selfish person people think i put stuff on twitter for them <laughs> i don't i put stuff on twitter for me like it holds me accountable it's like it's like my my workout buddy right you know if i say i'm going to finish 12 books this year then i've said it publicly you yeah. know, and, and it's written down. I mean, a lot of people, they have goals that they stick in their head and they got to get it out of their head. They got to, they got to tell other people, Hey, I'm going to achieve this thing and I'm going to write it down. I'm going to make it public. It could be one person. It could be a bunch of people, but like, it is one of my rewards. I give myself that after I, I mean, they talk about the habit loop and one, and, and, you know, a reward is the end of the loop to reinforce you to do it again. One of the rewards I give myself after I do, so I did 100 tactics to this morning and I posted one of what I thought was one of the more interesting of the 100 on Twitter. And, I'm, and I, I try, I don't always do it, but I try to like comment when people like guess wrong or guess right and well done. And one thing I think is hysterical is, um, you know, like I usually give the little trophy icon when people <laughs> get it done right. And, uh, you know, I've had people say like, I might get like i get bored and so i do the thumbs up like no 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 i want the trophy you know like people get caught i mean these are all just pretend you know digits you know like they're not real trophies but yeah people get into it yeah well that's why i think people don't really like take it seriously but i think it is pretty powerful and uh, i think accountability is like a scary thing but it's mm -hmm. a very effective thing oh very it's, it's super effective so I, it could be worth it for someone out there like if if you truly believe in the goal then you, because the unfortunate truth is that we, we can renege on goal on promises we make to ourselves with no penalty, and we right. know that there's no penalty, and so that makes it uh, pretty much painless uh, in the short run to to not do something you set out to do, whether it's tactics or reading a certain amount every day or whatever it is. I remember when I was doing the woodpecker method, that was like that was actually a big light bulb moment for me because I was like, I really want to do this book. But like I've been, I had hadn't been doing like a ton of studying at that point. It would have been my first like serious tactical training in a while. So I was like, well, I'm just gonna stream it because then I'm gonna like have, to, I'm gonna be embarrassed yeah. if I stop. So I'm gonna have yeah. to. <laughs> it yeah, worked out. I'm like I was so grateful by the end of it. I mean, first couple of days were rough. I don't fully agree with you that training has to be um, suffering <laughs> necessarily. I don't think it. So yeah. So let me be clear. I don't think it has to be suffering. But I think if you think it's gonna be a joy you're setting yourself up with the wrong expectation. Like mm -hmm. joy is not my goal. Fulfillment is my goal. And it doesn't have to be suffering. Like I, I'm loving um, Mauricio Flores Rios's chest structures. That's a joy for me. Mm -hmm. Now, not every book is a joy, 
um, you know, pawn power was a nightmare. But like, I think that um, I think that people, if you set a goal expectation that every bit of training, I mean, like you've probably trained in lots of different ways. Like is every day that you went to train, you were like, oh, I can't wait to train. Probably not. No, and so I think that's an that's an expectation problem. I think people have. I, I think that it should be enjoyable enough that it's gonna you're gonna be motivated to keep doing it. But I also think that there's a time that sometimes you just gotta grind it out, and and that's okay too. Like some days you're not gonna feel like doing it, but you you just do something, you mm -hmm. know. So that's kind of my point. I, I don't think it should be, uh, you know, I'm not into flagellation. I don't think you should be hurting yourself. But I I just think that too many people I hear. Uh, say, if it's not fun, you won't do it. And I'm an example of the opposite of that. Um, so what do you think? Like, how fun do you think training has to be? So I, I think we're on to that. I think uh, we are searching for pleasurable feelings that I wouldn't describe as joy. I think fulfillment and satisfaction are much closer. Because for me, I feel the most motivated when I have a concrete event coming up. And I know I'm going to have like, you know, real chess games. Maybe it's a norm event. I know my opponents or it's something like, um, Gibraltar, Reykjavik, and I know like how, how big that event's going to be. Um, and so for me, it's like, I, I kind of have this, uh, it's definitely an external motivation. Um, but it's also the sense of like, you know, if the work right now is hard, that means that I'm going to improve as a player. So it's like, I'm seeking challenge and the resistance, it actually becomes in a way pleasurable. Similarly, I was actually surprised by what you said about the gym. I've never been like a super fit person, but um, when I get into working out, that does become, I do get some endorphins out of that just from like the process of doing something challenging and, and but not dying from it, you know, succeeding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think chess, especially calculation work, to me, that's always been the closest to uh, fitness training because you really have to like try to push your brain to visualize a little bit uh, deeper mm -hmm. than you feel mm -hmm. like you can. And, mm -hmm. and to me, that's very much like kind of stretching the, the visualization muscle. Um, but I, I'm a big believer in finding books that like you connect with, like the Rios book, uh, Chess Structures. A lot of people really like that one because it's just so like clear and, and well written, and it's like uh, it's it's almost candy. I would say it's it's very good. It's very uh, accessible, um, and I think there are lots of books like that that have kind of even like a mix, let's say, of chess uh, content, like instructional material, and then more like mm. chess um, story or like. Uh, pros that I think right. people can enjoy as well. Actually, let's let's get into the the strategy book. So you've been doing yeah. um, this like knockout tournament. Maybe you can take us through the the slideshow. Yeah, yeah. So I like I said I I used to pre COVID I was going to the gym um, and then I um, stopped being able to do that. Uh, so I I started going for walks every day. I go for a three mile walk after work. And on one of my walks last year, um, I, I said to myself, well, maybe I could make a bit of a game out of my strategy studies. And um, I knew I was going to read a bunch of um, books that are basically the same theme from different authors. And so I was reading uh, so I did Amateur's Mind, which I'd read before, but I reread it. Simple Chess, uh, Winning Chess Strategies, and Best uh, Lessons of a Chess Coach. I wanted to do all kind of cluster around the same kind of level inter introductory chess strategy. And I thought, well, it's more fun for me if I make it a bit of a game. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's probably helpful for others. So again, I'm mostly selfish, but sometimes I think of others. And so I thought, well, I could do, um, I could put this on Twitter and then people would know to avoid certain books. Uh, and so I, I worked through all of those. I think winning chess strategies is great. I think simple chess is also excellent. Uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of Amateur's Mind for a bunch of reasons. Uh, I do think Best Lessons of a Chess Coach is pretty good. Um, but I also don't expect everyone to read five books on the same topic. So I think people have to choose. If they're going to choose, I try to make it clear. So I kind of work my way into the final two and then the, the champion. And then I did uh, harder books. I did the uh, what I call, I like these are my arbitrary definitions, but sure. I did the intermediate. I would agree um, with, yeah, you're kind of categorizations yeah absolutely yeah yeah i feel like um there is a there is a uh there's a lack of um i basically made all this up because i don't think there's a lot of good like categorization um out there for for the average player so i just had to make up my own categories and i would move things around and so it's a bit arbitrary but uh i really liked karpov's find the right plan it's a little bit of a um, lesser known book, but, uh, it is an excellent, uh, it's excellent. I really disliked my system. I think there are a lot of books that are, um, modern that are way better. I mean, it reminded me of, do you know what, um, the first movie ever made was? Um, I, I, I bet I, I, I knew at some point, yeah, it's like, it's called birth of a nation. Do you oh, know what it's about? Mind. No, no, I don't remember. <laughs> Birth of a Nation is a U.S. film about how awesome the KKK is. Oh, wow. And it was originally called The, the Klansman. Uh, Yikes. It's the first one. And it's on Americans Film Institute's best films of all time because it's the I, first. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, uh, I, my system is the birth of a nation for me. And I think that it is, it is a first. It had a lot of firsts. Uh, it has a lot of great quotable moments uh, that I will give it. But, uh, you know, would I recommend that book to anyone uh, in this century? I would not. And so I think that's what's hard. Because, like, if you watch interviews of grandmasters who were reading books when they were maybe, like, 11, mm-hmm. um, they're going to talk about things like my system. Because back then, that's probably all there was. Right. Uh, and, and they were told to do it by some Russian grandmaster coach. Uh, and so I think that um, for a modern reader... Uh, there are way better. I would put Selman way above my system uh, as an example. And I don't even think that one's the best. I think Pachman's modern chess strategy is, um, is excellent. It's, uh, it's broader than Selman. Uh, I frankly think that um, Winning Chess Strategy and Reassess Your Chess are the same book, but one's more bloated. And I don't think you want to read two of the same book twice. It's not the most efficient use of your time. And so, like, I really like Find the Right Plan and Modern Chess Strategy because they were very different than the Sarah Wants Silman School of Strategy. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's important. It's important to get different views. Now, the other book on this intermediate level that was uh, – someone really recommended so i threw it in there was first move first think later did you ever read that one um just a, a little bit of it i have it yeah it's i think it's it's uh it's very important although you don't have to re- buy the book or read the whole book because the concept's so simple i could just save people the money uh mm-hmm. the concept is that um concrete analysis trumps principles every day of the week mm-hmm 
and um Silman's quote of don't even look at moves before you come up with a plan is uh, idiotic because they should do both at the same time. You should be looking at moves and your brain won't even let you do it. So like, why are you trying to you know, do something your brain won't let you do? Your brain's going to immediately start doing moves at a subconscious level, whether you like it or not. So it's really a psychological book about how your brain works and how your, your moves that you see are going to affect your view of your strategy, that they're not like first all of one and then all of the other. It's a commingled game and it, um, it frees up your, your thinking so that, because if you're a student, you don't know any better. And Selman, who's supposed to be a god of chess, says you can't look at moves before you come up with a plan, then you think that's true. Um, but basically, um, Willie's goal is to question that. And I think right. that's, he's right. Now, um, I don't know that requires a whole book, but I think conceptually, <laughs> that's an important idea. Yeah, I mean, I think there, I think basically it's like, we just have to avoid the extremes here. Um, like I imagine for Selman, it's more about having like a context of the position before trying to like make a decision. Cause I, I mean, you know, Selman is of course a real chess player. I'm sure he's had the experience where he sees a tactic before he even thinks about the position. Right. Right. Um, so I'm sure he's had that, but I, I feel like what he's always been trying to do is just give people a way to kind of like scan the board, you know, analyze strengths and weaknesses when, there's nothing clear, you know, or immediate, you know, nothing obvious uh, what to do. Um, I, I feel like he, he breaks down a lot of the simple stuff really, really easily. It's like I've always appreciated how he just shows like, you know, like good knight versus bad bishop. This can be yeah, yeah. a decisive uh, advantage in, in the right um, position and then how to kind of play for that. And um, I'm also just a big fan of like the, the drill by examples, as Jesse calls yeah. it, where you just show like a number of, there's no need to show the full game, especially like, sorry, some of these old games, you know, the openings are like just completely irrelevant at this point and, and, and misplayed, um, you know, and, uh, but then the, the strategic decisions later on are, of course, very interesting and, and instructive and, and should be focused on. Um, and so how much, how much time per day would you spend going through like one of these strategy books and how would you do it? You'd, like play through the game on the board. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So all these strategy books, it'll be different when you get to the puzzle books, but all these strategy books to me are just game annotation books in disguise. They're really just game books, yeah. sometimes with partial games, sometimes like you said, sometimes with full games. I prefer full games because I'm actually tracking how many full games. So it's like a credit when I do a full game. <laughs> I don't get any credit for the part games, oh, yeah. but um, I, the way I do it is I read the prose. It's usually concept and an example, like you said. And uh, I mean, that's the way the chess structure is the current book I'm reading is as well. And so I get out my, my little, I have like right here, like I've got this little baby board, little magnetic board. And uh, I put it on top of my monitor, my, my computer, I fold it down, my MacBook down, I put it on top, I put the book in front of me. And then um, I'll spend on a game if it's a game that like in some kind of like, you know, Sicilian flavor, I'm never going to play in the next five years. I don't put as much time into those games. Mm -hmm. um, I might put like um, 10 minutes, 15 minutes into it. In other games that I find really interesting, whether it's my opening or not, I easily could put an hour in. But what I'll do is I will... I'll make a move, like I'll, like I'll read the move, I'll make the move on the board. I really think there's something mental about physical movement and like playing through, I, I think that that 
uh, it's not as powerful to do everything on a computer. I think there's something about the physicality that helps with brain. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there've been studies about like physical movement and brain connection has, it has some power to it anyway. You know, I'll, uh, I'll just say anecdotally, if, if I review an opening in chess space or I yeah. review it over the board, reviewing it over the board is gonna help me remember it a lot longer than in yeah. chess space, just kind of cycling through it. Yeah, that's my view. So wh what I'll do is I'll, I'll make a move and then just, I can't help myself. I think about like, well, what would I do in response? Mm -hmm. and even before I look at the response. And um, so I am to some extent trying to play the game as I'm moving through the, the moves. And I'll spend a little bit of time, you know, looking at it as I go through each move. And then um, when I get it right, I'll make a little note like, oh, I, that's what I would have played. Uh, and I write, and some people hate this, but I write all over my books as I've shown some examples on Twitter, because I think these books are not like sacred relics. They're meant to learn from. And it's another way to like help people learn. And so uh, I'm, I'm triangulating between the moves, my thoughts and the annotations. And obviously the better the annotator, the better the value the book is. And then if I feel like this game is super complicated and it feels like it would be interesting, and this is maybe 20% of the games, I'll pull out my pocket, um, uh, like Lee chess, and I'll like put it in. And I will notice how many times, you know, and some of the more modern books will say, oh, missed a faster win or like, oh, this was a defensive resource. But I find it also interesting. The benefit of the computer too, is there, depending on the quality of the book, there are going to be like, well, what about this whole line? Like, where does that go? And if I don't have a, like, if the book is of no use and I can't figure it out, then the computer can be helpful. I, I'll tell you that I, I don't go into like massive 20 move sidelines. I don't really think that's the point of why I'm reading these books. Um, so I also think there's a value in, in um, volume. So I think that if you spend two hours a game you're never going to finish a book and uh it, it's just not going to be the best use so i think there's a sweet spot right. for me the sweet spot's typically like 30 minutes a game sometimes it's 10 sometimes it's an hour but on average it's more like 30 minutes so if i'm going to do four games plus some you know a few paragraphs here and there of prose that's a couple hours a day so do you ever review games like you would like review a, a tactic meaning like uh, like go through the game more than just the original time with the books i haven't i mean sometimes books repeat i mean the classic games tend to get repeated across different books and so i factor that into my math of like how many original like unique games have i studied but i don't generally um like go over them over and over i i am confident i've got like i'm i'm frankly working on uh i should probably set the stage like I've created a kind of a 10 year plan for me. Mm. Of, so there's, so there was four years of tactics. Mm -hmm. I thought this whole game was going to be five years and then sadly <laughs> it wasn't. So, so I did four years of tactics. I thought I would do a year of strategy that has turned into three. So just strategy year one was general strategy. Year two was like specialty strategy and puzzles. And then I'll do a couple thousand um, annotated games in year three. So there's seven years. I'm going to do two years. I estimate it's going to take me, I hope my estimate's right, two years to master basic uh, end games. Mm -hmm. I have some end game knowledge, but I'm sure that my house is full of holes and I want to close those gaps. 
And um, then I'm planning to spend only one year, which is probably not enough time, really focused on openings. Hmm. Um, and that's my 10 year plan. I don't want to make it a 15 year plan. Um, and so let's see how that goes. But like, I, I'm really happy that I'm doing strategy. I, I actually was going to do end games first. And then I read uh, a book that was killing me. It was like queen versus rook. And they listed that in like the second chapter is like an easy basic mate. And I'm like, this book sucks. And I'm like, this is killing me. So I'm just like, Chuck end games. I'm going to strategy. One of the reasons was um, not every game gets to an end game. And I already know Lucina and like a lot of the basic stuff. And so I was just like, had no idea what to do in strategically. So I'm like, I, I kind of looked at myself and I was like, let's do, let's do strategy uh, first. And then I'll get to end games after that. And I'm really glad because I can, my games are so much more fun. And frankly, watching games like online or just reading games, I would say before I started doing the strategy work, half of the game moves that GMs made, I'm like, I have no idea why that was made. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense to me. Mm -hmm. And now I'm probably down to like, like only 10% of the moves are total mysteries to me. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I'm like, okay, you know, trying to go after this weakness, you know, because when I started playing chess, there was only one strategy, kill the king. Everything that was not kill the king made no sense to me. Hmm. I see. Yeah, no, that that's interesting. It, it just gives you this, like, context to look at higher level games and at least try to understand conceptually what, what they're doing, even though obviously they're like their calculation is just going to be like off the charts. But you these games can be understood just from like um, more um, broader level. Absolutely. Um, so we have the we have the intermediate chess strategy book championship. It looks yeah. like this one was won by the Pachman book, right? Modern chess strategy, and then we have. Um, I'm in the middle of the pawn strategy book championship. So this is the right one now. you're doing right now, pawn strategy. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about this. You've yeah. you've really trashed this pawn power in chess. Have book. you ever read it? Um, I probably just like leaf through. I definitely haven't read it in full. Okay, um, I'll give you I, a summary. There are 42. <laughs> the first 42 pages are definitions. Uh huh. And in fact, I must have it sitting around here. I don't think I burned it. No, I, sorry. It, no, it my, my question on this one is just, why spend so much time on it? Like you probably oh, why do it? like the book. Why, well, uh, why, why punish myself? Why finish it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dude, because I'm a grinder and it's what I am. <laughs> it's like, okay. I'm going to, you know, out of 10 years, that's 120 months, right? Mm -hmm. I committed uh, basically less than a month it took me to finish that book. Okay. So it was not a big part. I mean, I could have quit from my system. I hated that book just as much. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you why I didn't. One is because I like to finish what I start. But two, and I knew it wasn't going to take that long. And it's fun to make fun of things. But <laughs> I, it is the, it, it is the first one. Every other book references it. Oh, I see. And it's kind of like, like I similarly, uh, I mentioned films. I, I, in my twenties, before I was married, I had a lot of time. I saw American Film Institute in 1997, put out their top hundred films of all time. And I mm -hmm. thought of myself as a bit of a film buff. And I looked at the list that only, I could only remember the full like movie of 25 out of the hundred. Mm -hmm. So I, I spent the next five years working through the entire list. 
and the, and I don't like mu musicals, and so like that those were kind of rough for me. Uh, and some of the earlier ones, like you know, Birth of the Nation, there were others were not very good. But there's there's a bit of uh, you know, people love to throw around this term chess culture. I think that I am a more well-rounded understanding of chess history person because I've read my system now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It depends on the goal. If your goal is to tell people which strategy book to read, you can't not read my system. If your goal is to just be a normal person, be better at chess, don't read my system. <laughs> okay, okay, that answers that. So, um, so you're going to be choosing one of these three on both sides. Yeah, yeah. So chess structures, I'll tell you, I, I didn't even have solstice, solstice in... Andrew, uh, the pawn stru uh, structure chess in my list at first, but like all these people on Twitter is like, how do you not have that book? Mm -hmm. So like I, I went on, I got it right here. I went online. I found an old copy. Nice. Uh, now, did you ever read this one? Have you read any of these pawn books? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I probably read the most of the the Rios book. Okay. Um, but most. I read a little so bit you of the finished any book of them. You haven't finished any of these books. Yeah, you? I actually don't finish a lot of books. I'll read like maybe 60, 80 percent. And then as soon as it gets like draining, I'm just like, okay, let's move on. Cause, cause then I just, I'll read one game, you know, a week, right? If I, if I continue, cause I'll try to make one book like my main project, um, kind of like what you're doing, except maybe in a, let's say a shorter scale. I really like, I believe in the idea of just working on one thing at a time. Like you're going to oh, hardcore do. work on your calculation. Yeah, absolutely. Cause, cause I, 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 we should spend a minute on that because like, yeah. I find that most students, most like adult improvers totally don't do that. Like, mm -hmm. and that makes no sense to me. Like most people I know, they're like, I'll do Mondays is tactics day and Tuesdays is strategy day and Wednesdays is end game day. And I'm like, <laughs> how do you learn like that? Like that doesn't work for me at it, all. It makes sense. If you think about it from like a working out point of view, like a lot of people do, um, like uh chest and triceps back and biceps the next day and and so on but yeah i think for chess it like it takes so long to retain something and actually like because you're fundamentally trying to like strengthen your brain <laughs> i think when you're working on your chest like yeah consolidating patterns building all these like connections um so i've i've always felt like it just takes a lot of effort and very um, consistent effort to work on one thing so yeah for me it's like i just choose like okay this month i'm working on calculation or right. for the next until i feel like i'm not terrible at calculation i'm working on calculation yeah yeah I mean, so we totally agree on that like i i just think maybe they're all smarter than me but like it makes no sense to me to be randomly ro rotating around um so i'm on i'm in your camp so of these books have you read the shanklin books yet just a little bit of the first one. <laughs> I I can tell you I cheated. I kind of like breeze through the pawn power or the power of pawns. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that one looks much better. It's basically an updated version of, uh, I mean, even the title, the power of pawns versus pawn power. It's oh, not really marketing like a lot of different words. Uh, it, it is, um, you know, he doesn't do 42 pages of definitions that make no sense lee and luft and all this crazy um definitions that are made uh pawn power so famous but i i think that will be a very good one i'm looking forward to it I, what's also interesting again history matters so like shank sam shanklin spends a big chunk of his first book on pawns don't move backwards and that's the first sentence in pawn power and that is not a mistake 
that's not a coincidence. Mm -hmm. So like there's a value, like one of the things when I was watching the American Film Institute, um, you've probably had this experience. You ever watched an old movie and then you're like, oh, that's where that came from. Yeah, of course. Right. So like when I was doing all these movies from the 40s and the 50s, I totally now get why all these movies from the 80s and 90s are what they are, because they're based on these histories. And so the same thing's true with chess books. And so like everyone kind of bows down or at least gives a nod to pawn power and so like it's it was good i mean it didn't take that long and i got through it i mean the truth is just to be fair most of the book once you get past the 42 pages of stupid definitions is games Mm -hmm. and if you can't learn from a game then you're doing something wrong Mm -hmm. so like there are and frankly one of the things i like best like i wish every book did that pawn power does is it lists all the games in an index in the back and so, like, let's say there was a certain yeah. player, right. let's say I'm like you and I only read parts of books. Like, if there's a certain player that I was really into, I could just reference those games. Like, every yeah. book should do that. Yeah, I do that all the time, actually. I think a lot of books have it. But, yeah, I'll do that all the time. Like, yeah, I just want to see all of Smyslav's games in the book. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, okay, I guess I want to ask you now, like, what is the the plan for the future? Were you playing regularly in terms of um, classical tournaments before the, the pandemic started? I stopped. I played for a bit when I got back to the U.S., but then uh, taking on this job at the startup, it was I was on the road all the time. And mm-hmm. so, like, Art Club would play, I think it was on Tuesdays, and I was out of town a lot. And, and then also, like, if it's, if it's once a week for a month and I miss two weeks, then it's like I, I start thinking, well, like, do I really want to go to the club and play pay for a month and only play one game? So, like, it, it got tough for me. Um, so what I try to do is play a slow game online once a week now. So mm-hmm. I kind of mirror the same pattern. Um, but I really find that there's something powerful about, you know, playing at a club in, on a board with the clock, the whole game, whole setup. So I'm excited for when our club joint like starts back up again. And I'm, um, I think that I'm not going to be traveling as much um, once COVID's over. And so I think I got a legit shot at making it to like at least three out of the four per uh, month and i'm really eager to do that uh and i i i don't like i don't play i'd be curious to get your thoughts on this i only play like usually only one um slow game a week i don't play like five slow games a week i'll play a little bit of blitz i don't count that as training it's just fun for me but like um what do you what do you recommend people do as adult improvers how many um long games uh, a week Oh yeah, it's a good question. In terms of uh, like keeping in in shape and, and trying to stay in good playing form, I think basically one classical game a week is, is good. Like if you play one club game, ninety plus thirty, or like a second time control, uh, that that should be a pretty intense game. Like that's a long time control game. You could analyze that for the whole week and and get plenty of material from that um, without taking up a ton of time. Uh, but then if the goal is to eventually play something like like these big open tournaments, part of the challenge is that you're playing like two games a day for like yeah. three days in a row, five days in a row or something. And and so stamina is definitely something that uh, can can affect a lot of players if you're not used to playing so many difficult games, because by the end, your brain is just like hurting if you're not in, not in shape. I, I totally agree. So I played in some regional um, tournaments uh, in the past where it was two a days and it's brutal. 
Yeah. Um, it's like three day weekend tournaments where it's like six games. And by the third day you're fried. And so like, yeah, I'm going to have to step up not only my physical training, but even just like my playing um, training before, because I would like to play in the world open at some point. That's one of my goals. Yeah. Uh, and that's worse. It's like seven days or something. Mm. And, um, and so I, there's definitely, it's definitely harder to do two a day. Yeah, maybe there can be some kind of hybrid model in the future now that like more companies are okay with people working from home. Because in Europe, they just do uh, one game a day. And for yeah. anyone that hasn't played, it's just such a pleasure. You know, you wake up whenever the game is at like 1 p.m. You're done by like 6. You have time for a postmortem, comfortable dinner, prepare for the next game. So maybe we could have something like, you know, like if imagine you work the first few hours of the day and then you get to play like a game at 3 p.m. or something. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, I think it's very hard mentally to do and emotionally too to like get over it, whether you were up or down, and then get into another one and then mm -hmm. do that and again and again and again. It's a grind, and so that that's what I've got to be ready for if I start playing those kind of tournaments again. Big time. So the plan for you is to eventually uh, aim for master, right? I, you know, probably. I, I, I will say that like two things i think a lot of people fixate on ratings mm. and i think the problem with i'd be interested to get your thoughts on this so my thought is is like it's very easy for a player to be like a 1300 in openings a 1700 in tactics a thousand in strategy and like 2000 in in games you can be all over the map mm -hmm. and, and it's common mm -hmm. and and so what's your rating you know, and, and like, how do you deal with that? And and, and so I, I decided since I'm doing this, um, you know, 10 year plan and and I'm only building up one wall every few years, like I, it will discourage me if I worry a lot about my rating through this period. The other thing I was doing, which also probably intentionally um, held down my rating is my rule when I was at the Metro West Chess Club was whenever I won a section, I'd have to go up. Hmm. So I won like the the lower rateds and then I won the 17 and I tied at the 2000 level and then I started playing the open because that was my rule. And so here I am, this 1700 player playing these 20, 2200s, 2300s, 2100s, getting crushed most of the games. But I would much rather, if your goal is to grow, I think it's much better, if you can emotionally take it, it's much better to play up. Um, and so now that's not the right strategy if you want your rating to go up hmm. if you want your rating to go up you're going to play with people who are worse than you well, uh yeah. and so <laughs> like i think that um i think people worry too much of, about rating having said that i'm going to be really interested to see um where i am five years from now because i will have gone through like f what i consider to have mastered the basics of the four pillars of chess and I will be, um, I'm going to look to get a serious training partner slash coach for like the last couple of years of that, particularly for openings. Cause I, I think having a coach for openings, like end games, it's easy. You buy books, you work on them. It's pretty straightforward, but I think openings is, is more of an art and it's not so straightforward. And even things that you've taught people about that I don't know nothing about, like how to set up chess base. It's just, there's human benefit of having someone help you with openings. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and I mean, so, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah go ahead. I was just going to say, just a, so I, I will be interested. My plan is to be playing up 
in the open section for the next five years and to lose almost all my games <laughs> and and to learn a ton yeah and so at the end of that i will i will play in some tournaments at my level and that's when i will really know like what is my true rating mm -hmm. because if you're playing some if your average player is two to three hundred points above you then you really can't tell how what your real rating is in my opinion but that is not my current goal like my current goal is totally about training and i think i get more training benefit from playing up um than than i do from playing at equal or down and so um i think that that i will hit 2000 um i think that because you asked me about master like i think that master is very possible um but the way you phrase it was, is your goal to get master? And mm -hmm. like, I, I am, I'm all about like today, this month, this year, this five years, anything beyond that, I don't even think about like, like it will take care of itself. And so I think that it will take me more than five years to, uh, to get to master. So it's like beyond my, my uh, threshold. Right. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I should be, I should clarify when I say the word goal, honestly, what I really mean is like, that's kind of the dream, like, that's like the mm. vision, like, if everything goes well, then one day, maybe that's how it shows up. Um, but like real goals, I, I think we would agree on is like things you can just achieve, like today, this week, this month, I think that's, that's what people should focus on, because whatever your vision is, whatever, like, highest rating you can possibly achieve, you can't possibly get there without doing the step yeah, yeah, by yeah. step goal stuff anyway. So it's like, yeah, I, I will say that I think that lots of people, if they put in the work, could become a master. I, 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 um, I've seen a lot of master games. They're full of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I think it's a totally different thing to play at a 2400 and a 2600 and a 2800. To me, that's like at a whole nother level. But when I've looked at 22, 2300 level play, I'm like, you know, that's not perfect. Yeah. No, I can talk down at them because I'm higher rated. But yeah, I would say they've like, they've mastered the basics and they can calculate some stuff, but they'll still make um, tons of mistakes. I mean, I still make uh, mistakes all the time, especially in, in, in Blitz and Rapid. So it's not like anyone is immune to mistakes. But yeah, I think it's it's not unachievable but it it, it is difficult it, it takes time i mean it's really like it, this is yeah effort that just takes like years to to fully well, manifest i'll also say that like when i joined the night chess club ever it was very like you know how there are um classes in yeah. you know abc it was totally stratified by the humans too. Like all the a's hung out together all the b's hung out together <laughs> all the c's and the d's and when i started i was like a d and um they never got to they never talked to the a's you know and i was it just seemed weird you know as an adult <laughs> it seemed weird and and like um i would go into the club when i was a b or whatever you know and i would still hang out and say hi to my d's friends and like they were thought i was like doing them a favor and and and, and, and i think a lot of the, my point is it's in your head like why are people there's two reasons i think people stay 1200 or 1300 or 1400 all of those all of that stuff is unnecessary two reasons one is you think you'd belong there and so it's psychological mm -hmm. and the other is you're not willing to put in the work mm -hmm. if you think you can and you put in the work 
you know, I think most people can get up above 2000, I think. And I'm like trying to prove that uh, with my own work, you know, like it, you can't start worse than like starting at 40. I mean, it's tough. It, you'd, it'd be hard to like have a, a later start. Mm -hmm. And so like, I, I have like, I have none of the benefits. Uh, you know, I'm married with a family and I work at a startup. I have all the excuses. Right. And so like, I think that if you put in the work, you will get better. I am confident that I am a much better chess player than I was a year ago. My understanding of strategy has gotten so much better in the last year. My understanding of tactics is like incomparable than it was five years ago. Yeah. So like I'm getting better. And I think that what people need to do is let go of their rating and find other ways that are more um, tangible. Like for example, I'll sometimes put my games through chess.com's analysis engine, and it'll sometimes say I got like a 90 or a 95 or a you know mythical 97.3. Uh, and and like I would never score in the 90s. I'd be in like the 30s. Mm -hmm. And so like I'm like, oh, so that's better. You know, I think you need to find lots of signals that you're getting better, or like it used to take me, I'd work five minutes on some of these tactics and I'd get them wrong, five minutes. Now it's like 10 seconds, mm -hmm. you know, like that's progress. Yeah. And I so think I think you got to find progress. progress. Right. Is, is really important. And yeah, it's not just about numbers. You, you feel it when you're calculating better, faster, sharper. Um, no, absolutely. I, your story, I think, is really amazing because you did start basically from a very low level at a very late age. And like you're just showing that like you, as long as you, you don't need like the high tech solutions, as long as you just work consistently with some kind of coherent fashion and you don't like bounce around from like crazy thing to crazy thing it's not like you're trying a bunch of um like get good quick schemes like learning all these like little openings and like doing right. all this stuff like i love that you've really structured it for the long term because i think chess real chess improvement is long term it's like you can't fundamentally get better overnight or in a week it's like very, it was hard i'll tell you emo sorry emotionally like yeah. i thought tactics was going to be six months wow yeah. And maybe that was good because I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> I was going to take me four years. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think, honestly, like I had to have like a talk with myself on strategy. Like I had put like one year for each of these things initially. Mm. It's like, well, there's four things when you're, yeah, that's a lot of time, mm -hmm. you know? And then the more I got into it, the more I realized I didn't know. And I wasn't going to shortchange it. I would rather finish and then move on to the next then like halvesies on everything i think that's what most i think I, there's a great line if you remember in silman's third edition of reassess your chess where he talks about this person who like um has a rotten foundation but he plays enough little tricks to get himself up to being a math uh, an expert he gets up to 2000 by like you know basically like hiding his weaknesses and playing the right kind of tournaments and he mm -hmm. got himself up to be an expert but he's like he'll never be a master because his foundation is a mess i remember reading that when i was a kid actually around like 1800 and and i was like wow stop attacking me <laughs> <laughs> I, I resemble that yeah. <laughs> and, and that that really hit me that was like i am not going to be that person and it reminds me this is another book that i either, ever read mastery um, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. So he, you want to talk about feeling attacked. So he, he, he describes the dabbler, the obsessive, and the hacker. Uh-huh. And, and how most people are one of those three personalities. And, and to some extent, we all are in some parts of our lives. But 
the, the, this book had a huge impact on me because he said life is mostly plateaus uh -huh. with occasional bumps right. and ups and downs. And so if you don't like the, the plateaus, you're never going to find fulfillment in your life. You got to find peace with the plateau well, you gotta, and you gotta, yeah, enjoy the ride. Enjoy the, well, I want to say enjoy the training, but I know you don't fully. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you should. You know, I, I'm always glad after I train. Like, like that's the way I look at it. I'm, I'm really so focused during it. Like I'm not even thinking, I'm just like training, whether it's lifting weights or whether it's like you, I'm not a big weightlifter either, but you know what I'm saying? Like when I'm, yeah. when I'm on the erg machine and I'm trying to hit my time, I'm not like, Oh, this is the funniest thing I've ever done. I'm like trying to survive my breath and, <laughs> you know, like not get a heart attack. So yeah. like, but after my intense training, I'm always great glad, like yeah. at the back of my books, I always put like, you know, like what day I did and like how many pages I read. And like, I have every day I have little mechanisms. And then when it, when it gets into months, I use spreadsheets, but like, I think it's important to track and train. And, and uh, if people look at it, if they look at chess as a lifelong pleasure and um, all I got to do is be a little better today than I was yesterday, a little better next week, a little better next month, a little better next year. Then I'm going in the right direction. And like when people come to me and say, Well, how much does your rating improve? Did that book make your rating go 50 points? I'm like, dude, you're on the wrong path. You're not on the master's plateau loving path. You're on the dabbler or that you're probably on the obsessive yeah. path. Well, yeah, I was just thinking about that, you know, people still ask me about the woodpecker method all the time. Cause I did it, you know, maybe I think two years ago at this point. And I still get questions like, oh, is it a good method? Is it worth it? And it's like, dude, just try it. It's one month of your life. Just try it. <laughs> Worst case, you do tactics for two hours a day for a month. Like, how bad? <laughs> how bad could that be? Yeah, and I think you made a good point. I saw your recent video on that, like about doing a month. Um, and you said, like, if you skip a day, it's okay. Like, I think that's a big thing is self-forgiveness. And like, mm -hmm. um, and it's okay to miss. Like, right. that's something I think people... You know, they miss a day, turn the day turns into a week, a week turns into a month, and then they're done. You know, and and that's you got to say it's okay. You know, like I have had days where I'm like, I've had a terrible day, I had a tough day at work, family stuff going on, whatever. I'm just not in the mood. I'm going to skip a day, and that's okay. It's like I'm pretty consistent, and even I will miss a day here or there. And, and you just got to give yourself peace over that. You got to say it's the greater path that matters more and not be the obsessive that's like it's all or nothing. I think right. that if you look at this as like it's part of who I am, it's what I do, going to be doing it 99% of the time, I miss a day here or there, it's okay. I think that's a much more healthy approach. And I, I can tell you overall, I, I am so glad and happy that I've like pushed myself. I, I wouldn't finish a book in a year. Now I'm doing one a month. You know, I think that's the other thing that like people, it, I, I would spend five minutes. I couldn't get one tactic, right? You know, like you don't start by doing 200 in a day. People are like, how do you do 200 in a day? It's like, well, because you do one <laughs> and then you do it a couple of times and eventually one turns into five and five turns into, it's not like your first day, you're going to lift 500 pounds. Right. And so I think people don't, they don't look at it in the long plan, the long game. And I think that there's a lot of pleasure in um, slowly um, building positive habits in your life, just bigger than chess. And so I, I, um, 
I don't know. Like I, people think I'm special. I, there's nothing special about me. I'm lazy. I'm old. I'm not that bright. There's like I had a lot of things that are working against me. Everyone can do what I do. There's no special gifts I have. <laughs> I think that's part of the charm is that you're like, I'm not special. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that's great. I think we should end it on on that note. Um, yeah, I just want to say I, I hope you inspire a lot of people and people can really learn um, just from copying kind of the the principles behind what you're doing. Um, actually, it goes back to like atomic habits. You know, you got to make your make it attractive, make it rewarding, make it fun for you. And you know, you do this kind of stuff, like rank your favorite books, and then you'll find yourself reading a lot of books. It's like not actually not that not that crazy. Um, thanks so much for for joining us, Neil. This is a really great uh, time having you having you on here. Well, thank you. I, I wanted to say I really enjoyed. Uh, this time, I, I love what you guys are doing on the dojo. I have a ton of respect for you for offering so much free content to everyone <laughs> and um, trying to help people be better at chess. I'm a big fan of all you guys. And uh, say hi to, to David and Jesse for me. Of course. Thanks so much, Neil. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. <laughs> Bye-bye.